This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. How's everybody doing today? We are in the last week of a series that we've called Back to Life. Because we believe there's more to living than being alive, right? That there's a life that goes beyond just breathing, eating, going to work, waking up and doing the same thing the next day. That there's a, a bigger, greater life that wants that God wants for us. And so for the last few weeks, we've been looking at that just as a, a quick announcement as we get ready to get started today. Um, next week is Mother's Day. I don't, every one of y'all got a mother, right? There ain't no way that that didn't happen. So, um, so listen, um, next week is Mother's Day. If you've got a wife that's a mom, let's take care of them. If you've, if you're a kid and, and you're blessed to have your mom around, take care of her. Okay. Uh, and, and if you're a mom, don't do anything, make them do something. All right. And next Sunday, all right, we are celebrating, uh, infant dedication, baby dedication, right? And I just want to clarify what that means for us, right? It's a day for us as a church family to stand together with parents and say, we're going to do whatever it takes to raise this kid the right way, all right? It's not a statement of salvation. It's not a baptism or anything like that. It's just a chance for us to dedicate ourselves to do that. We have like gobs of babies to do that with next week. So it's going to be a full house, going to be a lot of fun. You don't want to miss next Sunday, all right, so let me, let me just kind of take you to a, um, a verse that we, we kind of launched out of for this series. It's been good so far. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus speaking to the woman at the well, a woman who's living in sin, who we would say is not living the life that God wants her to live. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Now, Jesus is not saying, as some early Christians thought, that you will never die. You Death itself will never take hold of you. What he is saying is that eternal life, the life that he talks about, is something that he wants to start in our hearts and in our lives right now. Okay? It is not something that God has saved for after death. Eternal life. If you believe in him, you will live and you will never know what real death is like. Death and what looks like the greatest defeat will actually be one of the greatest victories we ever celebrate. Okay? And he's given us that great promise in that moment. Y'all, y'all touch your neighbor and say, that's good right there. Now touch your neighbor back and say, why are you touching me? <laughs> All right. So in this series, we have anchored ourselves in Revelation chapter 1, a statement that Jesus makes to the Apostle John as he is beginning to give this great vision of the, the New Testament church and end times, Jesus says to John, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death in the grave. Okay, the Bible tells us real clear that sin earns something. The wages of sin is death. All right? So in our lives, when we sin, 
the sins that we know we do and the sins that we don't know that we do, the sins that we intend to do and the sins that we don't intend to do, right? Those sin, sin earns death. Death is a great trap. It's like getting locked in prison. And Jesus says, hey, y'all, I got the keys. I can get you out. Touch somebody say, Jesus got the keys. We're going to have fun today. Y'all okay with that? All right. And so in the first week, we looked at the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul um, wrote by volume, two-thirds of the New Testament, by pages, about half of the New Testament. And the Apostle Paul, in his later life, makes this great shift to serve Jesus. After having been someone who was persecuting the church, the Apostle Paul then it begins to, to spread out and to minister, to go into cities and start churches and plant churches and plant churches and plant churches. And in all of this great missionary endeavor, he constantly seems to hit resistance. He, he knew what it was like to live through a storm. And we looked at the book of Philippians where the Apostle Paul was imprisoned and writing to the church in Philippi that has been very good to him. They're, they're his friends. And the, the theme, the theologians would say of that book is joy. Writing from the middle of a jail cell, the Apostle Paul is filled with joy. And touch your neighbor and say, that's good right there. See, the first thing that God has to rescue in our hearts is our attitude. See, there's a lot of things in the way that we perceive the world, the way that we think about the world that has to be changed if we're going to experience the life that God wants us to live. And we see that right here in the Apostle Paul. And so in the first week, we looked at God wants to give us joy. The life that he wants us to live is filled with joy. He wants us to live that way. So many of us aren't. There's other aspects of the attitude, but, but God wants to change our attitude. He wants to redeem our attitude. In the second week, we looked at Abraham, and Abraham, while an old man, well into his senior years, is spoken to by God. God gives him a vision, gives him a dream that one day he's not only going to father a child. After years of trying to have a child, he's now going to father nations. And Abraham waits, waits and waits and waits, and God brings the dream to life. And we looked at the simple truth in, in week two of this series that if you, we don't have vision, we don't have life. If we, if we don't have vision, if there's not a vision that God's given us, if there's not a dream that we're chasing that's impossible to really live the way God wants us to live, yeah, that's Jonah, right? Oh, poor boy. We love him. We do. I'm not joking about that. It's going to be okay, buddy. So we've got to chase the dream. It's impossible to live the life God wants us to live if we're not chasing the dream. But the, the problem with that is that we often start chasing the dream and we don't chase the dreamer, right? And so 
we all of a sudden start thinking, well, there's, uh, God's told me to go there, and, and we, all, we forget about God. You see, Abraham, along the way, made some of those mistakes. And so we, we learned from his mistakes. And then last week we looked at how, how, how can we be the people who, who embrace the, the journey to chase after the dreamer? And we're, we're the people who have the right attitude. How do we actually make this? And we realize that the only way we do that is if God is our strength. If we ever try to be our own strength, we're not going to make. So, so, so the question, I think, then has to remain, what's next? What's, what comes after that? God's given me vision. I'm chasing after the dreamer. God is my strength. He's my source. Right? God's redeemed my attitude. I'm living with joy. I'm living with peace. Well, what, what's next? And I've got bad news for you. All right? John 10.10. 10. This is what's next. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come, Jesus speaking, that they may have life and have it to the fullest. Think about that. If you're in church, you probably read that a lot. I want you to realize that there's kind of a presupposition to that first statement. In other words, there has to be something that's happened to us for that first part of that verse to actually even make sense. See, we have to have something that's worth stealing. We have to have something that the enemy of our souls wants to kill and destroy. If we're really going to encounter the resistance that the Bible tells us is coming. And Jesus clarifies what that is. It's life. I came that you might have life, have the best, most fullest possible life possible, but the thief, the thief's going to come and try to steal that from you. The thief is going to come and it's going to try to destroy and crush and, and wring out every chance that you think you have of having that life. Over the last few weeks, we have had an intern working with me. Uh, he's a student and has been a student at Pfeiffer University. He's graduated, uh, going to a graduate program this fall. His name is Cade Isley. He played basketball at Pfeiffer uh, for three years, even though he's not tall enough to do that. That's just a wonderful gift that the Lord gave him. All right. And so I, I have grown to love him and love his story. And so what I wanted to do this morning was have him come and cheer because I think his story highlights this moment, maybe, maybe as good as any story I've heard, okay? All right, how's everybody? Um, I'm Kate Osley, I'm from Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, no offense to my Oakboro natives, but in my opinion, Greensboro is borough number one. Um, but my journey really just begins, my first word was ball. Okay, like everything gravitated around sports and the sport that I seemed to like the most was basketball. So early on, my dream was always to play college ball. Um, and going into high school, I didn't know how, how that was going to happen, but I was going to do everything possible to make that happen. So I transferred schools uh, to have a better chance. So I transferred schools, going into my junior year, tear my left ACL right before the season. So there goes one of those uh, seasons that I had to improve, impress some coaches. Uh, tear my left ACL, so I'm out the entire season. 
And then I come back for my, my senior campaign, and I'm like, I got I to gotta make it happen. Like, this is my dream. Um, and I remember it, it coming down, like, the season was over senior year, and I still hadn't had any offers. Had a couple interests, but that was it. And uh, I remember telling my parents that, you know, if I don't have basketball, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life, anything. Because basketball was, basketball was it. I mean, I knew God, but basketball was on that, on, that, on that pedestal, too. And my grandfather told me, Cade, if it's meant for you to play college basketball, then God will make that happen. God's going to use that. I just and at that moment I realized that I just gave it over to him and I said, "Look, whatever happens, happens. It's, on, it's, it's your will." And so, luckily, not luckily, but by God's will, um, I was able to come to Pfeiffer and um, academic scholarship and athletic scholarship to play college basketball. The summer before freshman year, I break my left foot, <laughs> um, and at that moment I was like, "Wow, like what's going on? Break my left foot, let it heal naturally for eight weeks." Um, come back, play nine games freshman year, break my foot again in the same spot, so I had to have a screw put in. Uh, everybody, I'm going to play this game too. Touch your neighbor and say, maybe basketball ain't what you need to do. Um, so that's where I was at freshman year. Um, so sophomore year comes around. I, I played solid, didn't play a lot. I uh, was still kind of trying to get back in the groove of things from the foot and knee, everything. Um, then junior year come around, I was voted captain of the team. And... Uh, that was last year, junior year, and nine games into the season, I tear my right ACL. <laughs> and so at that moment, I was like, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, at that moment I said, that's it, you know, uh, three, three major surgeries into it, I'm done. Um, and I felt, and I, at that moment when I tore it, I was laying on the court at the top of the key, and, you know, I said, I closed, my, I was about to start cursing, okay, I'll be honest with you. Um, but then I closed my eyes, and I said, you know what, God, like, Whatever you got for me, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. Like, I'm tired of fighting. You know, I'm a, like, like Pastor Kevin says, focus on the dreamer. Um, and so at that moment, I just gave it over to him. And then this season came around. I, was, I served as a, stu a student assistant coach um, instead of playing. And I was able to impact the guys in that way and thank, thankful to God for that opportunity. Um, but we also had a better season this year. You know, we had a winning season for the first time in my college career, and I wasn't, I didn't step foot on the court. So, um, you know, I'm forever grateful for that and forever grateful for sticking with it. And I'm thankful for, for Kevin for having me do the internship this semester for the past three or four months, and thankful for you all. So, appreciate it. Good. Am I on? There I am. Touch never said that's a good story. <laughs> Y'all think about that with me. Laying on the court, ACL tour, career's over with. If you're chasing the dream, life's over with right there. But the good thing about Cade is Cade was chasing the dreamer. See, when we chase the dreamer, the story can be rewritten mid-script. How many of y'all know that? And we're okay with that. And he was invited back, full scholarship as a senior, just to help coach. They took one scholarship spot, gave it to him, said, yeah, we just, we want you around here that much. And the team won almost more games this past year than it won in his first three years combined. See, I, I think that our dreams for ourselves sometimes pale in comparison to what God 
wants to do in us. You see, the thief is going to come to steal and kill and destroy. But y'all be reminded of this, that that which the enemy intends to use to harm us, God will use for our good. See, if we're chasing the dreamer in those moments, life still makes sense. See, I want to talk to you today because we're going to have to learn to do something if we're going to do this the right way. And so we're going to have to learn to fight. We're going to have to learn for fight for, to fight for the things that matter in life. Because y'all need to hear this and hear me out today. There are some things in life that are worth fighting for. There's some things in life that, that are worth our attention and our energy and our, our hearts to fight for. And I'm going to take you to an obscure woman in Scripture and show you that sometimes when we're willing to fight for something, God can take our efforts and do something remarkable through them. Luke 8, as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been the subject of bleeding, who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. Y'all listen, you need to understand the context for this woman. All right, she was considered to be, because of her condition, the perpetual bleeding. She was considered to be unclean. All right, that meant that she was not allowed to have uh, social contact with anyone. All right, so, so when she went to the well in the middle of the day. She would have to wait until everyone was done. She was not permitted to be around people. All right, let me, let me just kind of bring it down this morning, right? Pastor does touch your neighbor. She can't do touch your neighbor. All right. That's where she is. And then she meets Jesus. And after what we know is multiple times of seeking medical assistance to try to heal this condition, she sees in Jesus the hope that she needs. But I want you to understand that what's about to happen wasn't normal. It wasn't that acceptable. But it was her responding to Jesus. Look at what happens immediately after that. Luke 8 Beginning in verse 44, she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all began to deny it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding around and pressing against you. But Jesus says, no, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Let me just kind of unpack that for you. Jesus has been ministering in a place. He has learned of a need that is away from where they have been. So they have packed up camp. His entourage is moving with him. The people that he was ministering to are now crowded around him. He's traveling in the midst of a great number of people. And the woman sneaks in. 
to the crowd from behind and presses up to Jesus to touch the hem of his garment. And when she does, she's healed. I love what Peter says. Peter says, Jesus, why are you asking who touched you? Everybody's touching you. We were in a crowd of people. I mean, Jesus, if you were playing touch your neighbor right now, touch your neighbor just went crazy, right? Everybody's touching their neighbor everywhere, right? Why are you asking who touched you, Jesus? The reason he was asking was because this woman's faith had drawn something out of Jesus that she had to fight for. And I want you to know that in life, God is going to point you in directions to follow him. But you are going to have to fight for what God wants to do in your life. You're going to have to fight for it. And far too often, we're fighting the wrong battles the wrong way. Y'all listen to me. We're fighting the wrong battles the wrong way. And if you're fighting the wrong battles the wrong way, you're never going to win. Okay? You're never going to win if you do it the wrong way. So the first question I want to spend time looking at today is how do we fight? How do we fight? The first answer is we need to look to Jesus for the direction. I love this woman because she's willing to disregard the fact that she's unclean. And what does she do? Get the picture. She presses through the crowd behind Jesus. Jesus is leading the crowd, and she chooses to come up right behind him. Why? Because he's leading. He's the way. And if we're going to fight the right way, the first thing we've got to do is let Jesus provide the direction in our lives. John 10, or John 14, 6 says this. Jesus said to them, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to know the direction, if you want to know the next step, it's Jesus. This woman simply had to get to Jesus. The second thing that we need to do is we need to pray so that our heart and his heart align. We need to pray so that our heart and his heart align. See, that's what happens when we pray. That God gives us his heart. Our hearts get in agreement with one another. See, sometimes we go to God with prayers like this. God, I want a new Escalade. Black one, black rims, blacked out tires. God, I want a new Escalade, please. And Lord impresses on our heart and aligns it with his and reminds us that contentment with godliness is great gain, right? Be content with what you have. Don't go drop 60 grand on a new car, right? Be content with what you have. But sometimes we see our kids making decisions that we know are going to devastate their lives. And we lie on our face before the Lord praying, God, I can't solve this problem. I'm not big enough to fix this. God, I need you to intervene. I need you to come and change this. God, I need you to save them. I need you to come and rescue them. And just like as Jesus taught about prayer, when we're that neighbor that's banging on the door in the middle of the night, 
God's heart moves because of ours. See, prayer allows our hearts in the heart of God to come into agreement. I love what 2 Corinthians 10.3 says about fighting. It says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down strongholds. And we need to be the kind of people that pray. Because prayer is one of those powerful weapons that the Lord has leveraged on our behalf. It doesn't mean that God's always going to give you what you... Sometimes, and most of the time, God's got to change our heart. Prayer gives Him the avenue to do that. Number three, we need to let the Holy Spirit be our strength. We need to let the Holy Spirit be our strength. See, sometimes we get so engaged in battles that God hasn't called us to be in. We fight them in our own strength, our own ways. See, we need to pray because prayer allows us to rest in the power of God. Prayer focuses us on letting God be in control. But see how far too often we start doing what? We yell when we fight, don't we? When we're fighting for something, whether it be the right thing or the wrong thing, we yell. Y'all need to analyze in the things that you're fighting for the ratio of your yelling to your praying. Because I just want you to know right now, if you're yelling a lot more than you're praying, you're out of balance. I ain't saying that there aren't some things worth yelling about. There are some things worth yelling about. But see, we need to trust and let the Holy Spirit be our strength. Look what the Bible, this is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And I want you to know today that there are some battles the Lord has not called you to fight. And I, I'm just going to help you analyze those. You don't have authority to make a difference. You don't have the responsibility over that situation. And in those situations, when we try to fight battles that we're not responsible for, when we try to fight for things that God hasn't given us the authority over, all we're going to do is cause a mess. There's no way we can win that fight. And sometimes, even though we need to be a part of the fight, the way that we fight is just by being still and letting the Holy Spirit be our strength. And the last thing, so we need to give to God faithfully. And I know that y'all go, well, there, there's the pastor talking about giving again. <laughs> right? I want you to understand something about giving. It's vitally important. The way that we allocate resources in our lives, our time, our talent, and our treasure, the way we allocate those things that God has called us to steward speaks a lot to what's going on in our lives. And reallocating those things can radically shape our lives. Because I want you to understand the things that you're giving the most to is what you're fighting for. I'm going to say that again. 
The things that you're giving to, that's what you're fighting for. And I think that sometimes we find ourselves giving great deals of effort, energy, time, and resources to things that we really don't want to fight for. And if we're going to fight the right way, we need to give to God faithfully. See, giving is faith in action. It's our trust in God compelled to do something. And I love what the Apostle Paul says in Acts 20, 35. He says this, I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. How many of y'all know that if you're going to follow Jesus and do what he's asked you to do, you're going to have to work hard to do that, right? It's not easy. It's not easy to be a good dad, to be a good mom. It's not easy to be a good employee. You're going to have to work hard to do it. And the Apostle Paul says, look at me. I've been an example of how you can make a difference in the life of somebody just by working hard. For you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And I think that we're missing out on the blessings of God because we as a culture have shifted our thinking to thinking about what we get out of it. So, we're doing two series, two two-week series in the month of May. We're going to do a series called Blessed at the end of May. I promise you, it's going to change your life. Because God wants us to be givers. And when that attitude inside of us shifts, God can do something powerful through us. So I think the question that remains is if I'm going to fight the right way, I can still fight the wrong battle and I'm always going to lose. If, even if I'm fighting and I'm respectful and prayerful, if I'm trying to engage in the wrong battle, I'm always going to lose. And let me just give you a, a, a broad stroke answer to understand the battles that God has invited you into. All right. If God has given you authority and responsibility in an area, he's invited you to fight. All right. Just in a broad stroke. If he's invited you into that story and given you responsibility, given you authority, given you people to lead, given you influence, God has invited you into the fight. Today I want to get a little bit more specific and give you three things that I think are worth fighting for. The first thing that I think we need to fight for everyone is we need to fight for our family. And I'm not going to get all like theological. I'm just going to be practical here, okay? As a husband and wife, you have responsibility and you have authority in each other's lives. But I want you to understand something. There's nothing easy about having a good marriage. And there are going to be times that if you're going to have the kind of marriage God wants you to have, you're going to have to fight for it. It's not going to be easy. You're going to have to be the kind of person that's going to lay your life down so that they can experience the reality of Jesus Christ in the midst of your marriage. All right? That's what you sign up for. If you're a parent and you're here, I want you to understand that 
probably some of the greatest responsibility in the world rests in you. I really believe the hope for Albemarle and Stanley County comes from churches like ours that are willing to raise up young missionaries that will go live in our schools and in our towns and in our cities and that will change the culture of this place. Because I think that there's a responsibility and an authority as a parent in a kid's life. See, our kids are worth fighting for. I love what the old revivalist Leonard Ravenhill said. What father would watch as his house burned and not give everything, including his life, to save his children? How much more should we care for their eternity? So there are some of us that are sitting back and watching as our kids make devastating decisions. I'm just going, okay. Well, it's their life. They've got to live it. I want you to know that your kids are worth fighting for. I mean, in the scriptures, we see parents fighting for kids even when they're adults. I mean, think about the, uh, the prodigal son who returns home as an adult after blowing it, right? And a father who's still willing to fight for him. Right, don't give up on your kids. Fight for them. The second thing that I think we need to be willing to fight for is our relationship with Jesus. Our relationship with Jesus. I mean, we see that in this woman who's willing, even though she's not supposed to be there, to fight through a crowd just to touch Jesus because she knows that if I can touch him, I can be whole. But we encounter this every day. See, really, one of the lifelong questions that we're going to have to answer is, who is Jesus? And see, far too many of us have answered who Jesus is by giving the answer of the dream. Oh, Jesus is the God that's going to bring me my, my perfect husband, my soulmate, waiting on him. That's who Jesus is. Oh, Jesus is a God who's going to give me a promotion. Because I'm being faithful right now, and Jesus is the God that's going to get me a promotion. Oh, Jesus is the God that's going to save my children. They're not living the right way, and I want them to, to be better than they are. Jesus is the God. Instead of saying, Jesus is my Savior and my source. It's a question we're going to always have to answer. So who is Jesus to you. And in Matthew 16, Jesus posed that question to his followers. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You see, we're going to have to look into the heart of Jesus when he asks us, and he always asks us. He's always asking us. Life is always asking us, who is Jesus? And we're going to have to be able to look at Jesus and say, Jesus, you're the dreamer. You're the story writer. I'm just the pen. God, whatever you want, you're, you're the source. You're my strength. God, you're my savior. Because when we do that, just like with Cade, when the story changes and the plot twists, 
We can trust him. And the last thing that we need to fight for is our church. I want you to understand that two and a half years ago, when God gave me this vision and we started of trying to help people in Albemarle and Stanley County to find a new life in Jesus, to experience Jesus at the center of their life. We, we really were praying that we would get to this point. <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, I'm not joking. And over the last few weeks, maybe the last couple months, as I've been praying about what God wants to do in us now, I feel like God has invited me again to fight for a vision of a church that's bigger than even any of us can imagine. For the next two weeks, starting next week, we're going to do a series that I really think is quite pivotal for us. It's called What God Sees. And I'm going to answer the question, what does God see when he sees Vortex Church? So I want you to realize that there's some things that are worth fighting for. In the last two years, we've seen well over 200 people give their lives to Jesus here. All right, our, our church has grown. One year ago, we went to two services on this Sunday, the first Sunday in May. At that point in time, we were running, oh, about 165 in average. This month, or this last month, we averaged over 300 people in attendance. All right? There's, there's something happening here. And God is doing this for a reason, not because he wants us all to feel better about ourselves, but because he wants to make a difference in a portion of the world that everybody has long forgotten, but we haven't. And we're not going to. And we're going to see God do something amazing here. See, being used by God to make a difference, that's worth fighting for. See, there are some things that are worth fighting for today. And I want you to know that if you will fight the right fight, the right way, the end result is always his. And I think that's what we want anyway. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this moment, this chance to reflect on your word, to be challenged again. God, today as we... Uh, look into our hearts. We realize that maybe for some of us, God, we've stepped away from fighting for the things that we know we need to fight for. God, we've, we've, we've maybe been there before. We've maybe fought before. We've maybe gone after it before. But God, we've, we've relented. And God, maybe in some, some ways, today is an invitation to fight again. So God, we just look to you today. Now, with every head bowed, every eye closed, let me just ask you today. When you look at your life right now, is it being lived with Jesus as your strength and source? I mean, is Jesus the center of your life?
Is Jesus the foundation to which you're building on top of? Or are you living with the dream as the object of your life? Are you living with um, a, a relationship at the center of your life? Because maybe today, through God's grace and mercy, He would remind you that the only way you're ever going to experience the kind of life that He wants to give you is with Him at the center of everything. Him is your source. Him is your strength. If you would say, that's me today. I, I've been doing this all wrong. I've been fighting for the wrong things. I want Jesus. Raise your hand if that's you. Who else? Who else? So God, today, we just thank you for the invitation to fight for the right things. And we realize that, God, in those conflicts, we can trust you. God, you're going to fight with us and for us. God, I couldn't think of a better team to be on. God, so thank you for the invitation to do that. For those that are here today that recognize that they want to fight for you, God, we just, we just take this moment and, God, we just say thank you. Thank you for making a way. Thank you for taking those things that the enemy meant to destroy us with and using those for our own good. God, thank you because we love you so much. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.